From One World Trade Center in Manhattan, overlooking dozens of golf courses that will never have us as members, this is the Golf Digest Podcast. Welcome to the Golf Digest Podcast. This is Sam Wyman. Our guest this week is Steve Williams, who is the author of a new book called Out of the Rough, Inside the Ropes with the World's Greatest Golfers. Steve Williams, if you don't know, and I'm sure you do, is the longtime caddy for Tiger Woods. He was also a caddy for Peter Thompson at one point, Greg Norman, Ray Floyd. He's won a Masters with Adam Scott, and he's actually returning to caddy for Scott at this year's Masters after a brief hiatus. Steve is a divisive figure in golf. He's uh, blunt. He gets in the faces of media types and fans and has had some notable run-ins with other players, but he's an invaluable caddy to the players who he's uh, been on the back for. And he talks a lot about that in his new book. So joining me now from New Zealand, he has stayed up all night doing interviews promoting his book, is Steve Williams. Steve, I guess good morning to you. Yeah, it's morning time here. How are you doing, Sam? I'm great. Thanks for, uh, thanks for taking the time. So a lot to talk about. Uh, one thing I wanted to start right in with is that you, know, you are in this sort of peculiar position where you have been sort of semi-retired. You caddied a bit for Adam Scott last year and then have been um, kind of off the bag for the first part of this year, and now you're... You're planning to come back for the Masters, and it sounds like a few more tournaments than that. Um, you know, we hear about players all the time who get rusty for, from not playing for a while. Do caddies get rusty? <laughs> That's a very good question. I think it's quite fortunate to go back to a course where I've caddied, you know, I don't know how many years I've been here, 28 or 29 times I think I've caddied at Augusta for the Masters. So you're going back to a course that you're very familiar with, um, so the minute you step on the property, you're gonna everything's gonna come back to you. So, but yeah, of course you you know it takes you definitely takes you a couple of days. And it's interesting when you you caddy for a long time and then you don't caddy for a long time. Um, that first time when you carry the bag, although it looks easy to do, um, it's quite a physical challenge when you haven't done it for a while. I always notice the first time back uh, after a, you know a lengthy break away from it, um, strapping that forty pound bag over your shoulder for five hours on the golf course is not as easy as it once was or maybe that's just because i'm getting old i don't know i have to have to work that one out sure well i mean obviously in augusta's no joke in terms of undulation in the hills so that's a good question do you do any training beforehand I, mean, I know you're pretty pretty into fitness as it is but do you sort of ramp it up when you get ready for a tournament like that yeah look i know i normally just i mean i like to stay pretty fit i mean i drive race cars for a hobby and, you know, being one of the older guys, I'm racing against younger guys. One of the things I've got to do is stay fit and stay, it keeps you focused in order to try and stay up with some of the young guys in the motor racing thing. But as far as caddying, um, Augusta, as you know, uh, when you look at the TV, it, it doesn't give you any resemblance of how hilly that golf course is. And it is a very demanding walk. And um, I've always said I'm not a big fan of, you know, wearing those overalls. If I said to you, look, <laughs> You're going to go and walk a golf course today. You're going to be out there for five hours. It's going to be 85 degrees, and right. it's going to be pretty humid. Uh, would you select a pair of golf shirts, golf shorts and a golf shirt, or would you like to put these overalls on? <laughs> I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I've jumped on those overalls. So <laughs> I've never been a fan of those, particularly when it's warm there. I guess on a real cold day, they'd probably be quite good, but uh, on a real hot day. But it's a very demanding walk there. It's very hilly, as you know, and it's a lot, you know, the TV doesn't pay right. justice to how hilly that golf course is. 
Yeah, no, that's the kind of the first thing that that first time visitors note when they go there is they just it doesn't doesn't even begin to tell the story when you look at it on TV. So, you, you know, this has been well documented, but it's worth talking about a little bit, which is that Adam has had this great start to the year. He, you know, he won two straight events and was was played pretty well in his last time out. And now you're coming in, you're going to replace his his regular caddy. Um, so what's that dynamic like for you? I mean, this is a prearrangement, so I know you said that you know that, that this is you're not really feeling bad about stepping in, but do you feel like you need to do anything different based on the fact yeah, that he's had the success? Yeah, yeah look, Adam's played tremendous this year. There's no, no two ways about it, and, and um, more importantly, he's made that change uh, from the long putter to the short putter. He's made that uh, transformation with absolutely no problem, and he's probably. In fairness, I guess I haven't watched any of the golf, but it, you know, in order to win on the two, you've got to putt well. So he's obviously putted very well, made the transition very good. Um, in 2016, the long putters have been banned, so no player can use those now. So from that standpoint, that's great. But yeah, look, you know, look, if he had said to me, "Hey, Steve, I've got a great going, a great run going with Clarkie. I want to continue that through," I'd completely understand that as a caddy and as as a sports person. So um, I wouldn't have any problem with that, but. Um, fortunate, well not fortunately, but we're, we're keeping to the agreement that we made that you know we decided that the other caddy, was, his, his name's Dave Clark, we call him Clarky, um, mm-hmm. he was going to caddy an X amount of tournaments and I would do the rest um, and that's the, the format that we're going to stick to. Yeah. Do you feel like it's a different, I mean obviously majors are a different animal altogether, is caddying in a major different than it would be in caddying at say in the Honda Classic in terms of uh, how you manage a player's emotions, even the clubs you're pulling for him, are things different that maybe you would apply that you would do differently? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like each major is different. There's no, there's no question about that. You know, the the Masters is different to the U.S. Open. They're all different. So um, you've got to have a different strategy. It's like the PGA Championship. Yes, it's a major championship, but um, generally you'll find the course setup at a U.S. PGA Championship is very similar to a normal week on the PGA Tour. So hence the scoring at the PGA Championship generally can be a little bit lower uh, than the other three major championships. Obviously, the U.S. Open uh, is regarded as the toughest test of a major championship. Um, the USGA set the golf course mm-hmm. up a little bit more demanding, and, and you know, generally, even par is a very good score uh, at the U.S. Open. Uh, at the other tournaments, um, even par might not even feature. But you know, you've got to have a different plan for each tournament, a different strategy for each tournament, and they're all, all three of them, all four of them, are all different. I'm curious. You have gone on record saying you watch no golf uh, when you're at home. That you're, you know, you don't watch it. So, how do you keep up on the game, or, or to what extent do you feel like you need to keep up on the game when you're about to step back into, you know, into the crosshairs of a tournament like the Masters? Yeah, look, I, I think one thing that's for, for me that's kept my interest in the game for such a long level uh, and such a long period is that I don't follow the game when I'm not caddying. And that um, I think you could get. Well, you know, for me, I think if you got too wrapped up on what was going on, you you just get too involved in the game and let it consume too much Mm -hmm. of your life. For me, when I don't caddy, I don't follow the tour at all. I think when you come back out, it keeps you really fresh. It keeps you eager. Keeps you keen. So I sort of maintain that. Uh, I'm not a big TV watcher as it is. So you know, I don't watch very little TV apart from watching the news and watching rugby, my favourite game. But I certainly have never ever watched uh, a golf tournament. I knew in 2000. When I had retired uh, and the Masters came on TV and I never turned the TV on, <laughs> that told me I knew that I was ready for retirement. I right. certainly didn't watch that till on TV. Do you play much golf, Steve? At home or, or when not you're on t- much as, 
Yeah, not, not not as much as I'd like to. I haven't played this year, which is a shame to say. But you know, I think uh, when you take that chance to get away from the tour and, and semi-retired, well, but I'm semi-retired now, there's a lot of the other things you want to do um, before you start playing golf. But one of my ambitions is to get back out there and start playing golf. It's a game I love, and I have a wealth of knowledge built up and sure. have a bit more of an understanding of how you play the games from when I used to play the games. So no, at some point in time, I'll get back into playing. I wonder if you confront a similar dynamic to like golf writers like myself confront, which is that you're you're used to watching these great players and you sometimes make the mistake of thinking that you can apply some of the skills they have to the game you play, and it ends up being a an exercise in futility for me. I wonder if that's like ever an element for you where you watch Tiger or Adam Scott or whomever pull certain things off and you try to do it, and it obviously is a completely different experience. Oh, that's a very good point. I think one thing, that, you know, when you carry for good players all the time and you watch them, what they do, and particularly, you, you, you know, you, you, you've got to be able to visualize the shots that they hit. Important to be able to do that. So if in order to tell somebody what sort of shot it is and how you should play the shot or how you think you should play the shot, describe the shot. You've got to be able to visualize that yourself. But So when you get accustomed to you know watching good shots most of the time and then you step up behind the ball and, and you know you visualize a shot and, and it doesn't go anywhere near like you were visualizing it, that gets very frustrating yeah. and very quickly. Yes. <laughs> no, you, but that's, it's an interesting game. I think you'll find a lot of guys that carry... Um, they carry they carry a lot, and then they they lose interest in playing because it's just they they think you get this idea that you can play, or you should be able to play like them a little bit because you're certainly seeing it and you're visualizing it, but that doesn't happen. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about about uh, your book, Out of the Rough, Inside the Ropes with the World's Greatest Golfers. It was out in digital form um, before, but now it's coming out in hard copy. In fact, I have a hard copy right in front of me. And, uh, you know, it's it got a lot of attention for uh, when it first came out with some juicy little nuggets, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about. But but I think lost in the lost in some of that was the fact that it's a pretty interesting look at professional golf, at your career, at, at some of the some of the personalities that you come up close with. I mean, you know, Jaime Diaz, who are one of our great writers, you know, says it's it's an important golf book. And, you know, in reading it. I think there's a lot of good detail that people who are, you know, into thinking about how the game is played at the highest level, I think that's really important. My question is, when you set out to write this book, I'm sure money is always a consideration. What was your objective in in deciding to write a book? I think the whole objective, um, you know, first of all, when you, you you get approached by a publisher and approached by several authors about writing a book, and and they give you, you know, some idea on why you should write a book. What, what's involved in writing a book, what are the positives for writing a book, what are the negatives for writing a book, and then myself, uh, I know quite a few rugby players back here in New Zealand, and, you know, I've talked to several of them about, you know, the, the positives to writing a book, the negatives to writing a book, and then, you know, you set your own opinion and you, and you decide to do it, but for me, um, you know, I sort of was had this idea of um, just trying to give everybody a look at the golf, the life of a golf caddy, mm-hmm. uh, and the life of the tour from the eyes of a caddy, and you know I'm pretty happy that we achieved that goal and, and giving the, the reader a better understanding of how the tour works from a caddy's point of view. Of course, most people that are going to read the book, people that play golf and they watch sure. golf on TV and they see the caddies, and you know I'm sure a lot of them wonder, you know, wonder what he's saying there, what's he doing there, how's he, you know, da 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 da. So. I hope the people that read it get a better understanding of what the tour is like through the eyes of a caddy. Yeah, I'm curious what the reaction has been like 
to the book, and I bet I bet you can break it into two categories. There's the reaction to the book from the people who saw the headlines about certain excerpts, and then there's the people who actually read the book. There's probably two different reactions. So what has that been like? Yeah, look, that's, you're 100% on the money there. When the, when the book first came out, the, the excerpt out of the book that you would use to publish the book you know, was a paragraph that, you know, you had a word in there, had a phrase in there, or a word in there, uh, which I should have never used. It's a word that we don't, we use a lot different down here in this part of the world, down under, as, mm-hmm. as, to, as opposed to how that word's used in America. But, and you know, you're dead right. Most of the people that picked up on that are people that didn't even read the book. So everybody that's read the book from cover to cover, uh, has, you know, has been absolutely... Um, has been thrilled with the book. But, like, here in New Zealand, there's been no bad publicity. The only bad publicity came, you know, from America, where people picked up on that word. But if down here in New Zealand, there was no bad publicity. It's it's worth noting that the word you're talking about is you use the word slave when talking about how you felt like Tiger, you know, threw the club at you and you sort of resented that. It's worth noting that you did change the 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 word in the new version of the book to lackey. Uh, I guess that's an acknowledgement on your part yeah. that it was a poor choice of words. Yeah, look, I mean, I had no idea of the consequences of using that word here. Like I said, it, it, it wasn't. I wasn't describing how Tiger was treating me. I was merely describing a task that I was had to do. That what it felt like, or what I felt like doing that task. It wasn't anything detrimental to Tiger. He certainly, at no point in time, did he ever treat me like a slave, make me feel like I was a slave. But you know, I shouldn't have used that word mm-hmm. because. But like I said, I, you know, I was unaware of the consequences of using that word. We use that word very loosely down here sure. and down under so it was a poor choice of words but you know I guess as a rookie author one word <laughs> out of so many words wasn't too bad I guess yeah um, it is kind of a running theme through the book though is you sort of shedding light on what a caddy can do and how integral you or, or other caddies have been in some of these most important moments and I feel like that's a point that you really wanted to get across uh, and there's a lot I mean there's a ton of stories that speak to that. I mean, there's, you know, the story about, you know, 2008 and talking sort of at the U.S. Open, talking Tiger out of club selection and and, and having him commit to that shot. I'm curious what you think Tiger's career would have been like had you not been his caddy. Yeah, that's a... But you, you can't quantify that question. Yeah. That, that's a very, um, you know, a hard question to answer because, you know, look, any caddy can caddy for a great player. You know, guys that play as well as guys like Tiger do, mm-hmm. any caddy could caddy for those guys. But it's just, you know, how good you do. And, you know, you know, I, I believe in the time that I caddy for Tiger, you know, we probably did, uh, we, we maximised our potential, could you say. We, we did the mm-hmm. best we could. Um, you know, there's not many times where you felt like, you know, we let that one slip through the hands. That You know, when the opportunity presented itself to win, most often it happened. So, you know, you did the best you could, but that's a very hard question to quantify. It's like asking, you know, there's a, how many shots around does a good case say yeah. a player? You know, it's hard to actually put that into an actual figure. But, you know, all, all the all the caddies that caddy on the PJ Tour, they're all very good caddies and they all help their players a lot and they're all valuable to the players. I mean, you look at a lot of players that have the same caddy for a long time, you know that caddy does a good job, otherwise he wouldn't be with them. So it's a... You know, it's a sought-after field. Catting is a very sought-after field. It's become a very sure. uh, attractive job, if you like golf. And, and um, you know, there's a you know a lot of very, very good caddies on the tour. Mm. 
It's funny though. You do mention like uh, you know earlier in your career, you caddied for a lot of great players. You caddied for Peter Thompson. You caddied for Ray Floyd. And you tell this story about Greg Norman calling you shortly. I mean, within weeks after his famous collapse in the '96 Masters, and saying, you know, I need you back because you had caddied for him at an earlier point in his career because he felt like he needed you. So, what do you think? I mean, it's funny because we're you know there's 20 year anniversary of Norman uh, losing that Masters. We've written a fair amount about it. What? What do you feel like Greg was missing at that point in his career, and what do you think you provided him? Well, you know, I, I, I guess, you know, just sometimes I'm, I'm very direct and very upfront with the players I care for and, and can, be, can be quite authoritative when it comes to trying to get my opinion across as to far as what, you know, a club selection, how you want to play a whole sort of thing. And now look, you're not always right, obviously, but in most instances, uh, you, you, you know, provide the right information and that. And, you know, I guess Greg felt it was nothing detrimental to his caddy at the time, but mm-hmm. uh, when, when we, you know, when we sat down a, a few days after the tournament and went through it, you know, I, I guess he w- was really thinking that, you know, with my style, I could have probably help prevent the slide um, right. that that afternoon and, um, you know, things could have been different. And But unfortunately, at the time, I, you know, I, I've always been loyal and I was caring for Raymond Floyd at the time right. who was treating me good and playing well. I, I couldn't just drop him and go back to care for Greg. You know, I would have loved to have done that, but uh, loyalty's always been a big thing to me. That's funny because that you, you talk about a little bit, this not just with Greg, but with other guys as well, about just keeping their mind right during a round. And like in, that, in his case, it was maybe you could have helped him be a little bit more aggressive and not play conservatively. How much of a caddy's job is psychology and you know it's not just the club selection but it's actually sort of getting them to think a certain way on the golf course well i i believe it's a hundred percent that's that's what makes a good caddy is the psychology side of it if you can sort of you know i i describe it like if you can feel like you're standing in that player's shoes and you can see what he's seeing what he's feeling, what his thoughts are, what he's come through, and base your decisions on that. You know, get inside the guy's head, basically. Stand in his shoes and get inside his head and try and make your decisions the way you approach things and the way you do things on that day based on the facts that you observe from that player, which is like being a psychologist. Get inside the guy's head. That's going to make you a very good caddy, and you get a very good understanding of how a player operates, Mm -hmm. particularly under pressure. I think um, you you talk quite a bit in the book about Tiger and how, you know, certainly the, the ending of your your time with him was a different story, but in the early part and all those great years together, you guys thought the same way. You had a very similar mentality. What was that connection born from? Um, well, you know, I think, like, as a, as a kid growing up, um, my father installed in me that if you work hard, and you do the best at whatever you choose to do, you can be successful and you can reach, you know, you've got to set yourself goals and you can be successful and you can reach lofty goals if you work hard and dedicate yourself. So, you know, from my younger days of playing rugby and trying to be the best I can to getting into golf and trying to be the best I can then getting on the caddying sort of thing. But, you know, I just had that, you know, that, you know, I guess the same as Tiger, you love to win, love to compete, and love to do well. So, you know, the more times, the more success you have, the more you want it. You know, success breeds success, and, and the more you crave it, the more you want it, and the harder you work to get that success. So you guys felt you felt like you guys were in lockstep, at least on that on that front. You were both very driven about, you know, towards winning and maximizing what he had. 
Absolutely. You know, we, we, we you know, even to the point where you know we're both early morning people. I think you, you've got to you've got to match up well with a guy. And you know, I'm an early morning person. Love the love the early rise and. And, and that sort of thing, and he he loves the early rise, and you know we both share the fitness side of thing, both sports people. So you know, the player and the caddy must have a, a very similar interest, and you've got to have those dynamics line up. I mean, uh, you know, you can't be too far apart in your, in your personal makeup uh, when you spend that much time with a guy and you're working with a guy. You've got, you, I believe, you've got to be of similar nature and have a similar makeup. Did he require any adjustment? Was there a a period in the early part of caddying for Tiger? in which he took getting used to either because his personality is different or because the attention around him was so great that it was you you knew that it was just a completely different animal than what you'd previously experienced? Oh, not particularly. I think, um, you know, I, I was always a great believer and, and to this day I always do things. And like when you're working for somebody, you just don't assume things are going well. You ask them how things are going. And, you know, you're happy with what we're doing. You're happy with the way we're working together. I've always made a point with all the players I've worked for just not to, you know, let things sometimes things can boil up and, and get very heated, but you should never get to that moment. I've always been good with all the guys I've worked for, just, you know, and to check in with them regularly, you know, how are we doing? Are we going good? Are we working well together on the golf course? Is there any way I could do better? Is there something else I could do that would please you? Is something I'm doing that's not pleasing you? Know, you know, so if you do that, you're never going to get any contentious situations. You know, one of the things that I think it's fair to say when discussing your relationship with Tiger during the better times was that your importance to him was apparent. You know, it was clear that you had great value to him, but it was also apparent that you didn't really have much interest in ingratiating yourself with the crowd or with the media. I've I've heard you discuss that you realized that was kind of part of the job. I'm curious how sensitive you were to that, though, that the perception of you was that you were a bully and you know, sometimes you had run-ins with with media and fans. To what extent were you sensitive to criticism directed at you? Uh, look, I, you know, I don't think I was that sensitive at all. Yeah, the, the, the people that always made that sort of criticism or, or made that judgment, my answer to that would be, I'd like that person to come along with me and spend the entire week from Monday to Sunday of a golf tournament and just see what the entire week is like. What it is like to have people always wanting something, people always needing something, people pushing to get autographs, trying to get through the ropes and they're all squeezed up because they want to get a better look at Tiger and mm. the amount of media that are following me on the golf course and, the, you know, you're trying to be out there and you're trying to have a conversation and you've got people listening in all the time. Just come and spend a week uh, and, and then make that judgment following that. So, you know, that's the thing I always said to people. But, you know, look... I, I was there to do a job and do the best I could. I was trying to get the best out of him, and whatever it took to get the best out of him, that's what I had to do. Mm-hmm. Steve, you talk in the book about Tiger's goals of greatness, which has been covered ad nauseum in the media, You know, about wanting to pass Jack's record of 18 majors. When the scandal broke in 2009, was it apparent right away that this was going to be a major roadblock to his career? Well, I mean, I, that, that, that's hard to, hard to answer that because... No one actually knows to this day what the extent of that scandal was, and only he could answer that. And, you know, would it derail him at the time? You know, at the time, um, you know, I think it'd be fair to say if he if he didn't have the injuries at the same time, if he didn't get, you know, he could still be playing at the highest level today. But we don't know that because the, the situation arose where he got involved in some off-course personal dramas, 
and then of course injury came uh, con, con, you know at the same time as that, and those two factors there um, played a major role in his demise from the tour and, and to playing at the level that he was accustomed to and capable of. So um, yeah, it's, just, it's an unfortunate circumstance that injury and the scandal both came you know at similar times in his career. Adam Scott, talk to me a little bit about personalities. Compare Adam Scott to to Tiger or to Greg Norman, for that matter. I mean, how are, the, how are these personalities different? Look, I mean, all the personalities are all different, and that's what, what makes life so great. And, look, all good players, all great players, in fact, um, have that unbelievable desire to win. Now, some would, you know, some would look at Adam Scott and say, you know, he's a pretty laid-back sort of Australian sort of dude. And, he, and to be fair, he comes across that way, but he has that desire inside him. He just doesn't show that. He has that same burning desire to win and that ambition to be the best he can uh, inside him. He just doesn't show it. And, and that's his nature. More of a laid-back sort of guy, takes things on the chin, but inside him, the fire burns brightly. Uh, you just don't see that. Whereas, you know, a guy like Tiger or Greg, uh, the, the fire burns just as brightly, but their emotions, they show their emotions. They're, they're very outward with their emotions, their frustrations. You can you know, you can live and die on every shot. You can feel their frustrations. You can see their frustrations. But, you know, someone like Adam, you know, he hits a poor shot or whatever it be, you don't see that frustration uh, from a personal point of view when you're looking at the guy. But, you know, trust me, he gets frustrated, but he doesn't show it. Mm-hmm. I heard you say that one of the regrets of your career was how you handled the post-round uh, moment when Adam won at Bridgestone, I believe it was 2011. You said you kind of wished you had that interview with David Faraday back. Tell me why and tell me what that sort of sequence was like. Well, look, I mean, you know, I, I, I guess... If, I, if there was one thing in my career that I wish I hadn't done or I could take back, that was absolutely that moment there. And, and firstly, the moment should never have occurred. I mean, uh, walking off the 18th green uh, was an absolute amazing feeling there. Um, it was one of the first weeks counting for Adam and then to get a, to victory uh, so early in our, in our piece together, although at that time I wasn't committed to counting for him full time. But to get a victory and then to get a victory on a course where I'd had a lot of success with Tiger before um, you know coming down the 18th hole people were chanting my name which was you know I found that quite amusing and mm-hmm. it was you know quite um, it was just a very odd feeling and then to get to the 18th green and, and um, have a guy David Ferrity and no disrespect to him but I guess it's probably something he shouldn't have done put a microphone in my, in my face and at the time I, if you had asked me five minutes after what I said, I would have no clue. I was just so into that moment. Um, you know, I, I guess in, in some sense, I, it was just complete relief uh, for me. Look, it's hard to describe that, but, you know, after the frustrations and the period of what I went through with Tiger and how it all unfolded mm-hmm. then, and then to come back and, and get a victory with another player, I just felt that was some sort of mental relief for me. And, getting asked some questions on the 18th green, which it would never happen. I've never seen it happen before, and I've never seen it happen after. Uh, and I was just completely uh, in my own world then. And, and, and look, like I said, if you had asked me five minutes after the interview uh, what I said, I would have no clue. And, and, and unfortunately, what I did say did not come across well, and, and, and rightfully so. And I listened to it afterwards, it's like, wow, can't even believe you said that, but you didn't. And I regret that. But we all have moments we regret, and... Um, that's, that's the way it is. I can't take that back, but that's probably the only moment I've had uh, sure. in all my time as a caddy that I truly regret something. Sure. 
So I know you got the Masters on your plate, and it sounds like a few more tournaments. What else do you have uh, coming up? You got any more books in you? You think, Steve? <laughs> no, I might have another chapter. So, <laughs> you know, like I did retire, and that was the end of the story. But I might be room for one more chapter at the end. But no, 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 no. I'm going to carry sort of eight to ten tournaments for Adam this year, including the four major championships. So I'm really looking forward to that. Obviously, Adam's playing well, and. Um, his game is in great shape, heading to Augusta. So really excited about that. Really looking forward to it. And you know, I love catting in the major championships. After all these years, uh, I guess you could say, you know, those tournaments are the most exciting, the ones you most look forward to. So um, you know, a couple of great venues this year. Of course, the US Open is going to be at uh, Oakmont and uh, Pittsburgh, and that's the course that uh, I just I'm really looking forward to that challenge. It'll be it's one of the toughest golf courses not only in America but in the world. So. Uh, that's going to be a great tournament and one I'm looking forward to as well. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I'm just thinking about it now. Those are both, you think about Oakmont was a place where Tiger had a chance to win in 2007. And another one was uh, Baltus Raw is where the PGA is going to be. It's another place where he, he had a chance to win and, and uh, you know, was almost in that Monday finish. Well, listen, Steve, uh, we appreciate the time and the candor. Um, the book is very interesting. Anything um, we need to know about promoting the book? When does it come out uh, for the public? Yeah, the 29th of March is when the book will be released, so uh, it'll be available at all good bookstores come the 29th of March. Yeah, no, look, look I hope the, the readers can take the book and, and they get a better understanding of the PGA Tour through the eyes of a caddy. That's, that was the whole goal of the outset of the book, and um, I think we've accomplished uh, what we set out to do. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate you staying up all night, so uh, get some sleep, and we'll see you at Augusta. <laughs> all right, thanks very much, Sam. Take care. Thanks to Steve Williams for staying up all night and joining us on the Golf Digest podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe on iTunes and check back next week to see who our guests will be.